Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We have a special duo guest with us here. I think it's the first time we've had a duo guest. Uh, The group Out of the Dust is with us. Chris and Steph are going to be joining us in just a moment. Uh, Before we go to them, I do want to remind you, Men's Conference, Grace Story Men's Conference is coming up first weekend of May. We want you to go over to GraceStoryMinistries.com, register there, and uh, check out more information Oh, while you're over there, be sure to subscribe to our mailing list for updates on ticket availability, speaker announcements, uh, all sorts of conference updates, and much, much more. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about our guests before we bring them in. The husband and wife duo Out of the Dust is comprised of Chris and Steph. Their story of downfall, divorce, and miraculous remarriage is woven deep into their artistry. Acclamation for their music has led them to perform and share with their story all over the country, as well as receive features in media outlets such as Fox News, The 700 Club, and Family Life Today. Their writing displays a catalog spanning multiple genres and has featured guest appearances by Dove Award-winning artist Plum and Christian hip-hop favorite Tony Tillman. Using music as their platform, they continue to travel the country with contagious joy, as they spread the message of redemption and hope to a world desperately in need. Uh, They're also going to be leading worship for us at Men's Conference this year, so you're not going to want to miss that. Hey, Chris, Steph, welcome to Great Story Podcast. Hey, welcome. Wow, did you write that intro? That was incredible. (laughs) It's almost like... Someone who knew us. It was it was pretty deep, that. pretty deep. No, you, I tell you what, getting to know you guys a little bit in in the pre-show and hearing about you, we talked about that uh, catalog spanning multiple genres. If you haven't listened to uh, their music, go over to Spotify, and it, there is a, a big catalog, lots of it. We're going to talk about that a little in the show as well. But your guys' story is is you're very open about it very uh, uh whatever people want to know which is amazing um but your story itself can you just tell us a little bit about maybe your journey with divorce and remarriage yeah sure uh a quick flyover and then we can certainly dive into any parts that seem interesting um <laughs> we we met uh on a mission trip to philadelphia when we were in high school at a big church here in tennessee and, uh, you know, things just progressed very quickly. We got married when we were halfway through college. I was 19, he was 20. Whoa. Doing all the right things. Knew everything, <laughs> surely, <laughs> about marriage at that point in our lives. Optimistically naive. Uh, yeah. And through our early marriage, um, you know, had some struggles. Things weren't perfect, but I think we were just, again, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and then I started going through this period that a lot of people go through, which is doubt. And, and there wasn't a word for it back then, but deconstruction is now this kind of label that happens. And um, I felt very alone. I didn't know how to handle that. I, I didn't know how to handle the shame, to to ask the right questions, or even that I could ask the right questions. That isolation from Stephanie, from our community, uh, led me into some coping strategies and and things that were less than healthy. Uh, I was in the music industry and uh, 
yeah, I got into drugs and alcohol. That led me to tell Stephanie that uh, I didn't believe in God anymore and I didn't want to be married anymore. We got divorced uh, shortly thereafter. And then God took us on these incredible, very different, very, very different journeys. journeys. (laughs) We found him in our own way while we were apart. And then God sort of whispered to me that we should be together again. And Stephanie took some convincing. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully, she's she's more wise than I am. Um, And and we got got through counseling and uh, felt like it was it was going to glorify God more for us to be apart than to be together. We were just so in love. God changed everything about who we are in our marriage. And now we sing stories. Uh, we sing our story, God's story, into our music, and um, we shine that light for everybody to see. I'm so impressed that you did that in like less than two minutes. <laughs> it, it is a good synopsis because it, it, like you're listening and you're like, oh, no, wow, I'm disappointed. It, well, oh, yeah, yeah. The whole thing flips over. But it's obviously not all that glorious. Like, yeah, it sounds like a fairy tale now, but... Yeah. Maybe, Steph, can you take us to that moment whenever he walks in and just kind of out of seemingly nowhere hits you with that? Very much. Wow. Yes. Very much felt like it was out of nowhere because I he had hidden that side of him. And I think we were just so busy. You know, we were both our early marriage was composed of being full time students mm. and working as well and being in the church all the time. So. To me, I knew we were having issues. You know, we didn't communicate well, but things seemed fine. You know, that was like my word. Like, we're fine. We're, we're busy. Once we get to that next thing, well, it'll be better, right? Like once we graduate, well, then I started my master's. <laughs> so it's like, well, okay, when I, when I graduate from that and when we've got our full-time jobs and it just, I kept thinking, we're fine. It'll get better. And, and for then, me, it was like this, this. <laughs> Like a lot of men, it's like I didn't even know what I was feeling, maybe, or if I knew I was feeling something, but I didn't know how to put my finger on it. Um, and, you know, I'm not bashing anybody or anything, but just evangelicalism, Western church as a whole can have this tendency to downplay or like want to maybe cover up or say, you know, you know, emotions can be um they're not trusted. Mm. Um, you can't, and, and that's, that's, that can be true. You know, we don't want to let our emotions lead us primarily, but or even that doubts are a bad thing. And the doubts yeah. are a bad thing too, you know? So, um, I functioned out of kind of a, uh, I knew that what I was going through wasn't bad or wrong, I think in the quiet moments, but the isolation still and 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 how i isolated myself because i didn't want people to not like me i didn't want people to not i didn't want people to think wrongly of me you know a people pleaser in that regard so um the 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 things that went on just sort of festered until it exploded um yeah literally in in one night like he said he sat me down and said i don't believe in god anymore and i don't want to be married anymore and i i knew nothing hmm. so i couldn't even I couldn't process what was happening. I couldn't talk. I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of this, this world that I had so carefully constructed, right? My whole life, I'm like super overachiever. I want to do the right thing. want to come across the right way. And, you know, marriage, having a failed marriage was never going to be a part of, <laughs> of my life. And, 
uh, let alone the word divorce. And so, you know, I, I went through every, every emotion you can think of in that month or so where I, you know, I was fighting for our marriage and he was uh, weirdly cordial about <laughs> that period of time, but there was, there's no, no changing his mind. He met with our pastors, he met with our friends, but no matter what I did, you know, I, or any argument I tried to make, I couldn't, I couldn't convince him to stay. I couldn't convince him to believe in God again, or see his faithfulness through the years that I tried so hard to help him see. And so that's where my journey started. (laughs) Such a contrast now looking at the, because you talk about the isolation from each other, maybe from your faith community even. uh, But like now the, the communication, I mean, it's not lost on me that we're talking about two people that at one time separated. Now you're like, Hey, yeah, this was how I was feeling. This is how I was feeling. This is, and you know, now the communication lines are hugely open. It seems like, uh, yeah. what's <laughs> a dream. Yeah. And, and, you know, also trying to learn, cause you know, you're trying to convince him to change behaviors that only he can control. What, how did that dynamic of communication or lack of communication play a role in the separation of it? I know that in our, gosh, be, being so young. And again, I'm not saying that nobody should get married young, mm. but they need way more than the like six hours of premarital counseling that we had on a half day in a group setting. Like Find that out was, which animal you are. and Yeah, yeah there, <laughs> there were some flags that we did not recognize and nobody around us really, you know, maybe being in the South, outside of Nashville, I think it's just more accepted that people get married early, but I mean, we're in the church. We (laughs) look so happy. You know, we play the part we, you know, you enjoy people seeing you that way. I enjoy people liking me. We're doing all. So like, you know, I don't necessarily fault them. However, it would have been super helpful to somebody to be like, Hey, Chris, your dad left when you were two and you were raised by a single mom and he died when you were 12. Stephanie, you grew up in this beautiful nuclear family units. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and our personalities were just, I say were, they are just so different. And I think early on that really played a part negatively in our communication. You know, he, for we mentioned Enneagram earlier, we were talking, but you know, he, for those of you Enneagram fans, Chris is a four, I'm a one. And there's a lot of beauty that we see now that those two numbers can play and are the unique things about our personalities. But back then, I mean, I have this, I had a tendency to just want, you know, again, do the right thing, see the world in black and white, you know, it was very logical. And Chris is comfortable in the gray and the emotions and the beauty of the mystery of the world around him. And, and those man, those can clash if you're not in a healthy so that was a huge, a huge struggle for us. And so that definitely, uh, one thing we've heard for years is that in a, in a relationship, you're either, you're either moving towards oneness or isolation. There's no in between, there's no sitting still and, and just all of these things compounded, even though they were so small, you know, it was like this really slow fade. Um, there was no big, huge eruption of, you know, big fights and whatever, some kind of event that happened that caused us to get to the point of, of Chris asking for a divorce. It was just that slow isolation over years. Plenty of arguments, plenty of missing each other, plenty of not even knowing that like, not even knowing that 
it's it's okay for her to see the world one way and me to mm-hmm. see the world another way. And that's where tools, you know, personality theory, all that stuff, whatever flavor you pick can be so helpful to help not just learn about yourself, but like open yourself up to the world through which other, you know, the lens that other people see the world through and in, in, in our arguments, we would argue they weren't, again, it wasn't explosive, but like we would just, we couldn't, we couldn't figure that out and we didn't know ourselves well enough. We surely couldn't have known each other. Yeah. And just judgment would, you know, on my end of like, how could he do the things he's doing or the friends that he's hanging out with? You know, I, again, like more, I, I really felt like, the righteous thing, you know, was the right thing to do and nothing else. Like, why would you choose anything else? And, and so I wasn't always a safe place for him to come to for any things going on in his heart. And then, you know, obviously, you know, I had the issue, the issues were all there, although I was very blind to my own heart in any of it. Well, it's interesting to hear you guys talk again, too, because I'm not a therapist, but you guys are taking on, you know, not blame necessarily like I have this and you have that, obviously, like there's not like a lot of finger pointing or anything at this point. But yeah, and you talk about getting married early. I do think there are some sometimes in the church where it seems like like with couples, the ultimate goal of any uh, young person must be marriage and as early as possible. And, you know, there's that encouragement to it that, yeah, you don't take into consideration the dynamics of two people that may be completely opposite. And yeah, six hours of counseling, that's not even, it's probably in a group setting with Chick-fil-A brought in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just trying Basically. to, and your pastor probably made you do it so you could use the church, but um, yep. Yeah, that's a lot. So let's go to kind of you guys are, are are separated and you're doing your own thing. God is obviously, we can see now in, in hindsight, working on both of your hearts. How do you guys come back together? Like, how does that work? Like, and, and how far separated? I don't know how to ask that question. Question, were you like geographically or or how did that work? Uh, well, we did uh, legally get divorced. So we did go that far, uh, geographically, hilariously, not very far. Uh, sh- uh sh- her parents I moved out. So I moved yeah. in with my parents who lived like three minutes three away minutes down the road. And then she eventually bought a house that was, uh, less than a mile and in the same neighborhood. Uh, because so, I'm stubborn and I loved the neighborhood. It wasn't like unhealthy boundaries. Yeah, it wasn't unhealthy boundaries on her part or anything. So this is like this is like the uh, the country song of breaking up in a small town. Like you get, yeah. <laughs> it might be the same yep. grocery store. So how did you guys eventually, not that far away, come back together? Yeah. So we uh, spoke briefly about these journeys that we had to to go on, and there's just. Uh, three, four, five podcasts worth probably of, of mining those depths for anyone who's been on that kind of dark night of the soul rebel, you know, deconstructed prodigal journey. You know, there's so much there, but, um, you know, I mentioned my dad leaving and I mentioned, you know, my struggles with faith I mentioned. Uh, and, and so with my leaving, uh, I, let me back up. I I actually believed that I would be better off, that that she would be better off, that I would be better off. I'd have more fun. I'd have more freedom. I'd have a better, more satisfying life. And so would she. You know, that's this lie that I had believed. And uh, I was 
I thought I was very convincing uh, in my arguments and my sales pitch of that. Um, but nobody else was buying it. Nobody in our community was buying it. And that was frustrating for me. Um, you know, being away from God and having such a distorted picture of what marriage is and what it's for, it's a place to be safe and actually have those wanderings, have those breakdowns, have those 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 prodigal rebellious moments. It's it's that it, it's and I didn't know that. Um, so I I ran away uh, thinking that that was the only answer, thinking that that I could not find a happy life within our marriage and neither could she. And faith was the big banner that I, that I placed over that, but underneath it and what I've discovered and what, you know, the things that we don't know, we don't know. There was so much else. There was so much more playing below the surface. And a lot of that was, you know, just those unhealthy patterns of the friends that I was hanging out with, you know, I was into drugs and alcohol and parties and like the grip that that had on me. I had very little control in my life. That's something that I learned. Like I did all the right things. I married the good girl. I was living a good air quotes life, but I was sort of miserable and not having control, like, like drugs and parties and that, that all gave me control. It could, I, I could find controllable happiness in that. Right. And to run to that and to be gripped by that, uh, unknowingly, that's how sinister, uh, the temptations of, of, of the enemy can be right. And what had to happen is that I had to see those things fail. I had to, for me, I'm the guy who touches the hot plate. Uh, when the guy comes to your table and says, Hey, don't touch that. That's hot. I'm like, how hot is it? What am I going to, I'm pretty strong. So anyway, um, no, I have a daughter like you. So yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, I had, I had to, I think I did have to see that stuff fail and God in his mercy, let that happen very quickly. Um, I've, I've given the, uh, the analogy before of Wiley e. Coyote. I don't know if people here, if that's too old of a reference by now, uh, but cartoon Wiley e. Coyote, he chases the road runner. At one point, this, this coyote runs off of a cliff and he doesn't fall immediately. It's like, he doesn't know that he's off the cliff, the edge of the cliff. He just keeps running. Right. And that was sort of me. I kept running off the edge of the cliff until I sort of looked down and saw that there was nothing beneath me. And all the things that I'd built up, all the idols that I had that I had placed at the center of my life to say, this will do it. This will be enough. This will make me happy. All of that led to the most devastating uh, and, and difficult rock bottom type moment that um, that I can even imagine uh, for myself. And in that moment, in that, in that season of darkness is where I was finally ready to hear what God wanted to say to me. And God didn't find me through head knowledge, through all the intellectual arguments and the manifesto that I wrote when I left saying there's no way God can be real. He didn't find me through apologetics or anything like that. He found me through my failure and through my heart through experience, through the thing that I actually needed and wanted the most it was an experience to taste and see who he is. <clears throat> and I wasn't ready to see it until I didn't have anything else. And long story long, mm -hmm. um, that 
became the catalyst for my return to faith. And it felt, um, even as we've processed it, writing our book, um, we that was a very quick process for me. It's kind of this Damascus Road thing where the veil had been pulled mm. off my eyes. And um, there's a lot of work to do. There's been a lot of work to do. It, was a, it wasn't a quick journey to total healing, but it was a very uh, quick start. And uh, through that, through pouring out to God and him pouring into me and, and really truly experiencing who he was for maybe the first time in my life, um, through prayer, started to hear God just telling me that I should pursue Stephanie again. My ex-wife. <laughs> and um, I felt like I should probably let her know that. So <laughs> I did. Well, just before just before we go to some of those challenges of trying to go back to someone, and, and what was that time span of whenever you had the conversation initially and you're thinking about going back to her? What's that time span? It was basically almost, like January, nine months. basically January oh, yeah, to, eight se- months. So to less than a year though. So before yeah. we go to the challenges of going back to someone that you just devastated and asking for their trust, I, th- I think it is, you, you kind of mm. touched on something where I think it is important for those that are listening or watching to realize, like, I feel like you would say it like, it's not instantaneous healing. Like our, your story that you're telling here is not like, Boom, we said a prayer together and we were like, yes, <laughs> Applebee's and happiness again. Like that's that's not the story. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of tears, a lot of intentionality, a lot of, hey, we got to go do the work with a professional. A lot of stuff behind the scenes before you get to this point where you can openly, freely and with love and trust share your story together of restoration. I think people need to know that it's not, and it's both people. You can't, you can't do the work for the other person either. So if there's someone that you're trying to do this with and have a a restoration journey with, and they're not plugged in, it's not going to happen, but okay. Take Mm -hmm. us to that because that's gotta be interesting. What, what, what did that first contact look like or sound like? What were the words you used? Did you prepare, write something, a song perhaps? Oh, goodness. <laughs> How do you do I sang that? a song at our first wedding uh, that's very cringy to go back and watch. Um, <laughs> On but VHS. no, I didn't. I'm not very, uh, I'm not exactly super analytical or thoughtful. I'm very much uh, hard on my sleeve. Um, and I think I was trying to avoid saying that that night. Uh, but Right, I'm, because this context we have been divorced several months had not talked at all for several months and then i hear from my mom that he has texted her that he wants to talk to my parents first so that was that's a little funny tidbit for you uh, so he actually met with my parents first so and what shared emotion some things with them. do you feel with that what what emotion <laughs> do you feel dread or like hope or like oh boy what now what what do you feel with that me or you? You. you. Like when you yeah. hear that news that he wants to talk. Yeah. And I was, I think because of what God had taken me through and the healing that I had experienced in that, those eight months, which it was an entire journey for me that I could get into a really God. No, we'll get into really, it. I won't okay. let you get away. It just of God revealing to me this perfect little world that I thought I created. What 
a mask that was for security and acceptance and my identity. And so, and just, he spent that season painfully and graciously revealing to myself my own sin. And so I was finally at a point, you hear so many stories like this, but I was finally at that point of learning that I needed to fully release everything to him, right? Like I, that I didn't, who's really in control anyway, right? (laughs) Like we have this illusion of control, but that I needed to, to let go of Chris, to let go of what my future could look like without him, all of that. So I'm finally getting to this point of like, all right, God, I'm giving this to you. I want you to carry this for me. I don't know what my future looks like and I'm okay. (laughs) That's when, that's when I heard from him again. So I, I was at a point where I had, I had fully forgiven him. Um, So I, I think I was, I don't know that I was nervous. Um, It was just, I didn't even really know how to think, (laughs) you know, when I, when I saw him for the first time, um, he came up, we actually didn't come in my house. I had a new house at the time. We just ended up walking the neighborhood for like four hours or something ridiculous. Um, But we, we just swapped stories of what God had done. Uh, Chris shared all the things that he had hidden in our marriage and his journey over the past eight months. And, how God was just coming alive to him. And he was showing me all the, this list he had of all these ways that God had shown up and, and I'm doing the same, telling him, you know, all these things that I've learned and have gone through. And then at the end of the conversation, that's when Chris was like, well, God's told me that we should be together again. <gasps> <laughs> and uh, yeah, one conversation since the divorce. Um, and I know that I, I don't know. I wish I remembered what I actually said, but I know it wasn't what he wanted me to say. Well, like, <laughs> probably because you didn't know what to say. It was just, just ambiguous, like, I, uh, I like, what? I cannot, like, I can't go there right now. You know, I I needed, I needed to hear pretty much directly from God that this was what he had for us, because as much as I had forgiven him, trust takes time, and it should take time. So anybody listening, <laughs> if you, if somebody's broken your trust, you know, that's not something that, that they are, that's freely given immediately, right? Like that is something that takes time. And if somebody wants to earn your trust back, they will take the time and show you through their actions that they, they can earn that back. Forgiveness is commanded, but trust is not. It's mm. earned. Yeah. Yeah. So we took, you were fine. Like, I think the initial shock was like, you were a little scared. Of like, I just oh my wanted gosh. you to be open to it. I like, <laughs> I wanted to hear like, I don't know, but there, and, and, and rightfully so, like God gives us what we need. I actually didn't need a new savior, right? Like I didn't need something yeah, new to I, like I, work I towards. I or, didn't want to be the reason. Mm. I didn't want to be the reason for his journey and his healing. And that was something and you mentioned earlier, like for us, everything about where we are now and the fact that we are sitting here together, first and foremost, God did this. We did not do this. But secondly, it was the healing and the work that happened separately um, before coming back together. That is why we are here. <laughs> because had God not done the work that he did in our lives while we were apart, this would never work. And also, if God did that work and we were not, we didn't ever come back together, that would have been okay too because of what he did and and what Jesus did, you know, he is enough, no matter what our redemption stories look like, still would have been a redemption story if our lives had gone separate ways because of what he did. But, but, you know, we needed, 
I needed God to tell me that this was the ending he had for us. And so we took a few months. We were doing counseling separately. We're huge advocates for that because, man, we learned, if nothing else, we learned there's so much that we didn't know and we weren't prepared for and equipped for. And we needed another voice speaking into that. So whether that's through mentors or professional you know, therapists, we're, man, you guys, we need people. <laughs> we need to live in true, authentic community. Because... One of the weirdest things about our story is that God had to bring her to a place to let go of her whole future. And even though God, I felt like God was telling me more clearly that we were supposed to be together again than I've ever felt him tell me anything, I still had to be brought to my own place of surrender. I'd given her away, and now weirdly, I'm the one who's having to like give her up, right? Uh, I had to give up this idea that I had of, of the ending that I could write, you know, the ending that I thought was best. So we came together and just said, we, we asked and we prayed and we involved people and uh, decided that um, that this was what God wanted for our lives and that he wanted us to be this beacon, this lighthouse for a dark world to see what true restoration and redemption can look like. It doesn't always play out that way for everybody, um, but he writes his own story of redemption in all of our lives when we are willing to surrender and let go of the pen and give it to him and let him write it for us. Well, as you guys are going through this restoration process and you kind of alluded to some of the key success factors, but what maybe can you point to some of those factors that contributed to the success of your restoration journey? Uh, You mentioned going to uh, counseling apart and, and together. Um, Mm -hmm. you, You mentioned, you know, kind of a community um, and then open lines of communication. Is there more than that? That was, that was success that uh, had success for you. Uh, I mean, those are definitely the major things. And I, and above all, you just, just really, really leaning into the Lord and what he has, because again, like we, this is not something we could have done on our own or deserved on our own. This ending is not. And, and so I think both of us were in a place in that season of of kind of being forced to rely on the Lord for everything, right? Because of what we had been through. You know, I couldn't get through the day sometimes without him going through that year and and you especially coming back around. So I think we were we were in a, a place of dependence. And I think that's just so important to be dependent on him because I, man, I have a natural bent to depend on myself and to be self-sufficient and to make my own decisions. So I think that was also huge for us. Well, it sounds like boundaries started to play a bigger part in your relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, what was it like implementing boundaries? I mean, cause eventually you know, you're like, yeah, you heard from God that we're supposed to be together, but here's this boundary. I'm going to need to hear that too, not just trust you. Mm-hmm. So as you're starting to implement some of those newfound tools that you're hearing through therapists and, and your relationship with God, what, what what was it like coming back into a different relationship with the same person? <laughs> the same person yet, an unrecognizable person, right? <laughs> like, I think so both, for both for of both us. Of yeah. us. Um, I mean... I just think of, you know, this, the, the scripture in, in Revelation, you know, behold, I'm making all things new. It's like it felt. I've been trying to think of I'm a songwriter, so I try to think of analogies for stuff like this. 
And I was talking to a friend today who's going through something different, but just still very similar because because redemption and, and downfall and all those things, they all rhyme and, and resonate with one another stories like that. So it's like um, I think it's 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 not just like buying a brand new house. Right. It's like it's like getting it's like finding a key to a second floor that you never knew you had you had because it's it's not like the other stuff doesn't exist right it's not like you you forget all the things that, but but god somehow beautifully builds on top of it and it wasn't it felt sort of like a fairy tale to be honest we were uh it, it was a beautiful season it was hard um but once we really committed to it it felt uh, sort of just glorious and beautiful and um but it 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 felt deeper it felt like the roots had grown deeper and the tree had grown taller. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know how to say it other than that. I speak very abstra- abstractly. <laughs> Maybe you can bring <laughs> it down to practically earth. speaking, <laughs> the practical one. Uh, yeah, it, we had a season of dating. So once we, you know, we both felt and our counselor, cause we actually saw the same counselor separately, um, on purpose, I think so that he could kind of view this both separately See but, under the hood. Yeah, once we all we all came together, I think it was in like November or something of that year, early November. Uh and we decided like, okay, let's do this. You know, we went on a second first date. We we like had physical boundaries. Like we dated again and uh got engaged. I implemented the physical boundaries, everyone, I'm proud to say. <laughs> Mr. Hard on his sleeve, go yeah. by what feels good. Um and then like we got engaged again and then remarried again in a little tiny ceremony in Nashville. And so there was that, but also um, one really helpful thing that our counselor had us do was um, he said to name a time frame. So for us, I think we said like three months or something. And in those three months, we can ask each other anything and nothing's off limits. So getting everything out there, I'm the kind of person that would rather know everything than just like, not ask. <laughs> so everything that happened in our first marriage while we were apart, and it goes both ways. You know, there are definitely things that I did that were wounding towards him as well. Um, and so once in that three months, you can ask every detail, no matter how ugly, and you've got to be honest about it. But at the end of that season, you put it to bed. So that that doesn't mean that triggers aren't going to come up, um, but it means he wouldn't have to like be afraid that I'm going to keep bringing the same thing up again, or, or that there would be that, I don't know, kind of that, that power over our growth, you know, and our, our future. Always fear, going back like to we're, the past. Or fear of the past, like we're moving forward together now. Yeah. You know? Well, I love that. Cause I'm, I'm someone, I just want to like, no matter what, get it out there. Cause let's live in reality. Otherwise yeah. this is just a nice facade that's going to crumble at some point. Um, and it sounds like, so getting married did that, that three months probably didn't stop then. I feel like there's probably, you know, if you get married, there's an extension on that open communication, everything out there all the time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. For sure. <laughs> so with, with what you're, you're sharing here, I, it, it begs the question, cause you're very vulnerable and, and maybe how do you balance the vulnerability of sharing your personal story with also, you know, kind of needing also to be private and have boundaries uh, in your marriage with, with the, the general public? Hmm. That's a good question. I think, and even just a 
back up a little bit as to why we're even sharing this story. You know, after after walking through what we walked through and we both have always had a love for music. We led worship together even before the divorce and everything. Um, but we, through a series of events, God made it really clear for us that music was a platform he was going to give us to share the story. Yeah, the first time that we played on a stage together, we like won an award, which we didn't deserve. No, we were we terrible. Did it. And and <laughs> and afterwards, a girl came up to Stephanie bawling, saying, I'm going through the same thing. It was like we wow. shared like a minute of our story of what had happened. So so I think for us, just telling the story in and of itself, telling God's story, right? It's not really our story. We're just kind of the players that that help tell his story of redemption. But we we feel called to tell it. So so I think the vulnerability for us, it just it just feels like the thing we're supposed to do. So we don't I think that some people it may it may be really exhausting or hard, but I think maybe we have a little bit easier time. And we're also part of like a community. Our church community is like they're used to that's just the culture at our church. So we're very grateful for that. But when you see what when you see what vulnerability and honesty about the darkest parts of who you are and what you've been through, when you see like the correlation, when you see people set free, when you see the reciprocity where someone's like they see you tell your story and then there's like this burden, like this weight they didn't even know they had. And they share that with us or what, you know, like when you see the fruit that, that God produces from our weakness, it proves his strength in that we get to be agents of healing to other people through somehow strangely, mysteriously, beautifully through our most broken and awful moments yeah it is an interesting balance so like you're talking about kind of the the boundary between like our ministry life and then personal life and i know um and being in an in an industry where social media is necessary you know um but i think we've learned even just at home setting work hours so that because we could be doing stuff all day long i mean chris spent what two hours this morning just responding to messages of people who are just hurting and desperate for some hope and encouragement and prayer. And so um, there are certain things, yeah, like work hours, like with our kids, you know, I'm not, I don't even have a personal like, social media account. So, you know, we don't, we're not posting stories all day long of what we're doing in our family. We really treat our social media as, as ministry. Uh, so there, most there of are, the time. Most of the time. Oh yeah. We're also, until, until I get the camera and then I'm like doing that. We also just, I mean, maybe you can tell, we like to have a good time. We, we love life and, and sharing, sharing that with other people. But, but yeah, there, there is a line that we try to, to stick to as far as not exposing everything about our day-to-day life with everybody, having our own privacy in our moments. Yeah. Cause I, I think there can be people that are like, Oh, I should share my story too. And then the, the oversharing, you know, happens. But as I hear what you're saying, first a calling to share your mm-hmm. story and, and not, you know, uh, sharing out of pain, but having a purpose for what you're sharing. And then sure. you, you have limits on what you share as well. So while it's vulnerable, it's not like uh, a tell all people magazine, uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever the, the yeah. things are in the, in the checkout aisle. Uh, that's not what's happening either. A very, a very, uh, a reason for what you share. Yeah. Uh, and I will, I will add too. I know for us, like one of the verses that we love and share almost every concert is revelation. You always say it. 12, 10, I think. Yeah. The, just about the power of the enemy will be overcome 
by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So I do, we do feel like everybody has a story to tell that God can use. Now that doesn't mean everybody is called to tell it on a stage in front of, you know, hundreds or thousands of people, but even just a coffee meeting with somebody, our stories are powerful. Think about that. Think about how scripture tells us that, that our stories have power to overcome the enemy that want, that is against the purposes of God and that our story can set other people free. Mm-hmm. If we believe in Jesus and we have given our lives to him and he's sanctified, if he's, if he's changing us day by day, like that, that is powerful in the lives of the people around us. Like more, the more of us that embrace that, the, the better the world will be. And the more the kingdom of heaven will flourish here on earth. Yeah. Showing and it's like everybody knows anyways, like no one's perfect. We, we say it so much um, mm-hmm. and sharing your story in appropriate places with a reason mm-hmm. and boundaries. I mean, Jesus understood the power of story. Every time he opened yeah. his mouth, he's like, well, let me tell you a story about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll get to your question, but I have a story <laughs> that might answer that. And the power of story, the power of the connection. And also you guys mentioned the, the music. Uh, and the stories you guys put through music, how that's affected so many. What maybe has been, uh, I was going to ask how it, the the music has been impacted by your story, but that's obviously, obviously just wrapped up and is mm-hmm. your calling. Maybe I'll twist it. What is the most rewarding part of sharing your story through music? I'll go. Go for it. I think <laughs> I said early on, um, so I was like, I've always been the musician uh, in the family. Um, my dad was a musician and I didn't really know him at all, but he gave me my first guitar and Stephanie grew up in music, uh, but it wasn't like the thing she wanted to do. Oh, like. I never wanted to be on stage. Or she was in band and choir. Or be the center of attention ever. She was in band and <laughs> choir. I was in band and like, you know, drama and all that stuff. But I was the guy playing guitar in college trying to like make it or whatever. I didn't I was horrible uh, at were, making it, but oh, well. I wasn't, I don't know that I was horrible, but I just didn't have the drive. Yeah. Anyway, all I had to say, uh, my philosophy when we started this was, um, I don't know, I don't know where the image came from, but um, I just, when, when you want to give someone a birthday card or uh, a get well card or something like you go through the card aisle and you're opening cards, trying to look and see which one fits right. And sometimes you find one and you're like, oh man, that is really good. And it helps you express something that you knew was inside of you, but you didn't know how to get it out. And sometimes you read words on the page. You're like, I didn't even know that I felt that. Mm -hmm. But now that I see it, I realize how true it is. And that was kind of the philosophy that we wanted to bring to songwriting is to give people avenues and, and pathways to God to talk to God, to meet with God, to share their own pain and, and let our songs perhaps hopefully prayerfully be a way that they can engage God. And so the most maybe rewarding part is when we do hear, you know, thank God, you know, through us, uh, we hear that that is what they have become for some people is, is ways that, you know, when someone says, wow, I, this helped me say something I didn't even know that I felt, or I didn't know that I could say that, you know, our song take this is like this lament ballad of, of someone who's, you know, Stephanie's side of the story. And it's like, 
And it's like what we see in Psalms, but people, I don't know that they feel the freedom to really just cry out to God, like Job, like, like the lament Psalms. And the song just says, so where's this peace you promised? Cause right now it feels like fear and to give people permission to say those things, to give people an Avenue. That's, I think that's the most rewarding part. Yeah. I, cause uh, we, we've talked about this on, on our podcast before, but I know in my own life so many times and I grew up in a, in a pretty conservative background and you know, there, Jesus is all you need. And you know, this is, there's not pros, not quite prosperity gospel, but you know, if you trust in him, you will not have any. And sometimes the experiences that you have with God are not what you grew up expecting what would happen. Because, mm-hmm. and then is it okay to ask those questions of, hey, if you're all powerful and you want me to have joy, well, then why did you let this happen? Is that okay mm-hmm. to ask or is that blasphemy? I don't want to get smitten today. <laughs> when, you know? when we're steeped in that, that's where some of the, like some of that prosperity-ish gospel stuff comes from where we don't feel the permission to be sad, to be angry with God, you know, to, to, to express our whole selves to him. Because if everything's supposed to be good, once I trust in Jesus, well, everything's not good. And I mm-hmm. thought I trusted in Jesus. So A, either maybe I don't. Or I've done something wrong, yeah. or I'm weak, and I should just have more faith. It's obviously when my really, fault. My fault. I yeah. Think. And what we see in Scripture is a completely different picture of people wrestling with God and actually being blessed for it. You know, people who say what's actually on their hearts, who can bleed out their hearts to God, but then can come to a place of, of I think, acceptance and also praise, you know, yeah. even in spite of what they're going through. And that is what transforms us. It's not prosperity where everything is great. Once you trust in Jesus, it's no God is good enough to take the things that happen to us in a broken world and actually use that to make us better agents, <laughs> to, to, to change us, to transform us and to bring more you know, peace, shalom, peace into the world. Well, what a blessing to be able to give that gift to people uh, that in their darkest moments, they can use that, to cry out uh, because I, I think there's some people that think it's more holy to have some type of stoicism of like, you know, thinking of Job in ashes by the fire, like mm, I'm just sitting here letting everything crumble around me. But then like you got David over here who's like doing the imprecatory Psalms and like prayers of, yeah. you know, like avenge me. Like it's okay to yeah. be emotional uh, and you're allowing that an emotional outlet for people. I love that. Is there a specific song or or something that you guys particularly love or that connects with you that we wrote? Yeah, like is there is if you had to well if if you could pick a favorite, if there's something sure. that's intentionally like, "Ooh, this is one we love to get up on stage and share. It connects with us in a different way than maybe others." What would that be? I don't want to give the impression that all of our songs are just dirge laments um, oh, no, no. we have lots of different types of <laughs> music but our prayer and the the thread through all of it is hopefully uh, to just speak truth and um hum what favorite i think i have to answer that differently for me there's like the favorite song that we like wrote and produced and that might be uh, a song called redemption skies that did not do very oh, wow that's like did not do very well uh commercially <laughs> but it's for our kids it's about our kids it's a very selfish song yeah and then there's like <laughs> There's like Disney strings on it, and it's but it just was just like a dream to whimsical have these and beautiful. Incredible strings. 
players. Uh, so that was really fun. Uh, song content wise for me, I think my favorite song, the song that is the most personal to me is a song called I Still Believe in You, mm. um, which is on our second mm-hmm. project. Where the song Take This is kind of about my journey. Mm. I Still Believe in You is about his journey of coming back. And those are both on the Now More Than Ever project. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That's so hard. I think thinking about that project, the title track Now More Than Ever is kind of our, that's our big marriage song i think for us of coming back walking through what we walked through um and it's just that like and it, again it's a ballad but it's like it's that the anthem in the fact that you're just saying let let this be the song we sing forever you know now more than ever when our feelings change when you know everything around us is is awful or whatever whatever seasons we go through from here on out like the lyric says, write it on my heart for when it's hard and we forget, you know, through joy and pain. What do we say? Love will whisper. Love will whisper now more than ever. <laughs> because the song came from uh, a person who had a wedding ring with now more than ever inscribed mm. on it. And I was like, that's a song wow. right there. Because if you just imagine in every moment, in every season, now more than ever is when we need to remember what this is and the purpose and the meaning. So, so are you like a, a comedian, like, like comedians do? Do you have like your, your, your book, then you're out at a diner and some waitress says something pithy as they're handing you flapjacks and you're like, Hmm, song, I have to stop now and write. <laughs> I wish I was that committed. Right. I wish I was that committed. You I do have, have a note have in my notes phone. In her phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've heard of Taylor Swift doing that. She'll just like, <laughs> just like like stop talking to people and like have to go and sing. Well, do you like a little phone. voice memo? Like yeah. Sing yeah, but like how many breakups did she have to do? You guys just have the one. So like, you That's know. True. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> she's so lucky. She's, she's oh so lucky God. to have so much to write about. Just, yeah. Give yourself a break. No pun intended on that. But, but continue on down that road because there's a lot of, of, of emotion involved, a lot of content you've already created. How do you guys stay motivated and inspired to keep creating so much great music? That is a what a question. Good question. And it is a struggle. I think um and really just like pulling back the curtain of of being an independent artist these mm. days. It is it's tough. This is our full-time ministry, you know, we do and it's very ministry. For us it's ministry first. Music is just kind of the the avenue, right, that we can use uh to do this. Um but for us, we have to, like I said, we have to manage social media and create content. We do all of our booking in-house. We've got, you got your merch, you got your design, you got, there's just so much. And sometimes there are plenty of days we're like, man, I wish we could just focus on music. Um, and uh, this past year, we just finished, just turned in uh, the first draft of our of a memoir of our story to our agent a couple weeks ago. So that's been like, hanging over our heads for for a year and we feel so good to have that first draft turned in uh but again you know that's been pulling our attention to that and um all that to say we're really excited now that that's behind us to get back into the studio we have lots of songs that we've started over the past year that we're that we're pumped to to kind of weed through and and pray about what we feel like God's leading us towards for the next project. I mean, I think the quickest answer would be that we don't feel like God's told us to stop yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, and it's, it's my dream. I'm kind of living the dream of being able to write music, play music and, and make a living doing it. So 
Um, oh yeah. It's the last thing I ever imagined in a million years I would do with my life. Like I have a graduate degree in education. And it's hard. But, I get more discouraged than she does sometimes. But, I'm, I'm the emotional but one. But <laughs> I could not imagine doing anything else that would bring me as much joy as, as this, getting to do this together. And even as a family, our kids come on the road with us when we tour in the summer. So it is a dream. It is hard. Uh, plenty of times my brain thinks of how much easier it would be to have just a normal nine to five job. <laughs> Stephanie would crush but, it in the corporate world, but, anyway, but she yeah. crushes it here too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I could do a, a nine to five. I'm, I'm happy with my 12 hour shifts at the hospital, get in there, get it all done. And then have a few days off. I'm too ADD for whew, all Monday through Friday. But so I have some questions I want to ask you guys about, you know, your approach to men's conference and we're running out of time here real quick, but I do want to give you guys an opportunity to kind of tell people where we can find out more about you guys and, and your music and connect with you guys. And maybe when that memoir, we should be looking for that to come out. Yeah. Boy, I wish we could tell you, we'll, we'll keep you updated on the book. <laughs> um, but for us, the easiest way to find us, um, you know, on all socials, it's just out of the dust music. You can find us there. We are the ones that answer all the direct messages that come in. So please, please reach out. Um, if you want to just need someone to share your story with, if there's a way we could be praying for you, Encourage we you. love using, using Facebook and Instagram to do that. Um, our website out of the dust You can find out more about our story there. There's a video on the homepage of, you know, 10 minutes of us telling our story. It's also a really easy thing for you to share with somebody who you feel like might could be encouraged by hearing our story you can contact us there as well. Don't miss anything. Our music, music streaming, anywhere you listen to music, Spotify, Apple music, Amazon, but word of warning, if you go to Spotify and you hear our song, take this, you will then hear some subsequent uh, dance, electronic dance remixes of take this. Um, it's a long story, not worth spending time telling it now, but, but trust me, just go to our go albums. albums. <laughs> well, to be fair, my kids heard that and they, they didn't dislike it. Uh, so like, I can't know of it. Hey, What's it this, is, Daddy? <laughs> it's incredible the story of this Irish DJ like spreading this message of hope to a very unchurched world in the electronic dance music. Uh, it's just it has inundated our Spotify. So if you want a true taste of our music, you know, don't get hung up on all of the dance remixes. <laughs> when you get to the music <laughs> that goes with a guy going potty potty ya, yeah, you know, it's it's. <laughs> It's the different one. But hey, if you want to hear that story, come to men's conference in May and ask Chris yeah. and Steph in person. They'll be happy to tell you a story. Before <laughs> I get to my final question, though, what's been your approach with men's conference coming up? It's a different type of venue uh, than mm -hmm. most people have been to. Um, what's been your approach to kind of uh, preparing to, to minister and, and lead worship there with all the guys? I think our approach is similar no matter what we do. Um, there's, there's definitely an open handedness. We have done, uh, this, this will be the first time that Stephanie this is, our is first men's conference. this it is the first time Stephanie will feel out of place. Not the table out of place, but turned. she'll be, she'll be outnumbered. We've done just women's retreats after, you know, like crazy. Um, there aren't a lot of dude retreats like that. You know, I know. Yeah. I'm mean, so excited. I think yeah. I will say this. I think God specifically, it might not be, for other men to benefit from, but I feel like God has really just been calling me to uh, pray and, and think more deeply about, you know, what it does mean to be a, a man and, and a godly man and how to, how to do that in uh, 
a, a culture that we find ourselves in and not get caught up in different tropes, not got, get caught up in, you know, anger over, you know, what's, what's happening in the culture, but how to be gentle and lowly yeah. as Jesus was, uh, and yet how to display strength and uh, how to deal with our emotions and all of that. Because uh, all men, I, all, I, I say I'm like emotional, you know, as if all men aren't emotional. All men and women are emotional. We're Absolutely. emotional beings. So exploring that and thinking about how to help men connect and, and feel the freedom to experience and, and talk about whatever it is that's going on. Uh, because I think that is what has led to the epidemic that we are on the front lines of every day, an epidemic of men mm-hmm. and women, but a lot of men leaving their wives because they don't know what's happening in here and they can't express it and they don't know what to do. And they generally just find different unhealthy ways to deal with it or they just run away. Yeah. Yeah. No, those, those first two sessions too, uh, are, I think are going to be so important of just understanding your story and how it affects you today, your behaviors, who you are, um, and, and understanding then what to do with that information. Because sometimes you can mm. learn that and you're like, yeah, I am pretty messed up. So coping mechanism number three <laughs> over there. Like, yeah. So men's conference is going to be a blast. So excited to have you guys there. Uh, before I let you guys go though, I always like to ask this question of our guests. Um, as we're coming to a close, if there's something um, we find people out there, maybe someone's listening in and they're like, yeah, our marriage is right there where yours was at just before that conversation. I can feel it's about to happen or I feel like I'm about to introduce the conversation. Or maybe there's somebody, you know, that's wanting to have restoration in their marriage and they are separated. Um, if there's someone out there that is just lost, feels alone and isolated, um, and, and they needed something from someone who has been there, and you have, what would that word be from Chris and Steph? Uh, the, the thing that comes to my mind that sort of always comes to my mind, um, well, two things. I can't do one word. I just said possible. One, one thing, number one, is you, it is, it is a lie of the enemy that you are alone. And that is what all of the media that we see, all of the isolation through devices and our separation from our community, that is that is a tactic of the enemy to make you feel alone. And you're not. All the lies that tell you that you're crazy or that you shouldn't feel this way or that you're not good enough or that you will never that it will never get better, or that you can't change, or that you are just isolated and alone. You're not. Uh, you're not. Um, and that's why we do feel us. That is what wakes us up in the morning and gets us going and keeps us going is to, uh, to keep letting people know, um, that, that it is okay to be where you are. It is okay. And so that's, that's what that would lead into number two, which is to lean in, lean into the season that you're in and don't push away the things that, uh, the baddies, as, as I said in an interview before, which men can tend to do and women we cover it up we don't we want to just get over it and move past it but god wants to use what is happening in your life to draw you closer to him and he is so much more patient with you than even you are with yourself so feel the freedom and the permission 
lean into that. And if leaning into that means that you are a broken mess on the floor, crying out to God and praying, avenge me, like that's what scripture invites us to do. Or, or if that invites, if that calls you to repentance, right? Um, wherever that situation or season, whatever that leads you to lean into it, because that's where, that's where the juice is. It's, it's yeah. I would just, just add, if you haven't heard us <laughs> with throughout this podcast that there there's always hope there's always hope now is every relationship going to be restored in this way and we wish we could say yes but Mm. you know we live in a broken world and sin breaks things and but there is always hope that god redeems that he doesn't waste anything you know that was what i clung to in my season of, of grasping what my life was um, you know, all these scriptures point to God using our suffering, working through our suffering. I would yes. not be the person I am today had it not been for the suffering that forced me to rely on him for everything. So he will not waste this season, this part of your story, no matter what the ending is. Because there's not something better down the road that will make you better. There's no ending that we can imagine. There's no next thing that will be good enough The the there's a time right now where God wants to be enough for you. I love that it. time is there. Yeah. Yeah. Know that God wastes absolutely nothing. Uh, it just requires us bringing ourselves and what we have to him, no matter how broken it is. Mm-hmm. Well, we are out of time. Uh, Chris, Steph, out of the dust. Thank you so much for coming on Grace Story Podcast today and sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're looking forward to the men's conference. Can't wait. And that's coming up fast. For you guys that are listening out there, thank you so much for joining in on the conversation. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, give us a follow, tap a five-star rating there and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow and hit that notification bell to never miss an episode. Uh, Like I say every time, there is no us without you, so get engaged continue on your journey of restoration lean in and we'll see you in two weeks for a new episode until then we'll be praying for you